Today, we bring you audio from the Embracing Autism IRL video podcast series. Welcome to Embracing Autism IRL. In this video series, we interview guests from a variety of backgrounds who are all linked together through autism. From advocates to therapists to parents and autistic adults, this series will take a well-rounded approach to sharing diverse perspectives on autism spectrum disorder. Our guests are encouraged to speak freely and be their authentic selves when discussing controversial yet critical topics in the autism community. If you'd like to watch the full unedited video of our interview-style podcast spinoff, Embracing Autism IRL, please subscribe to our YouTube channel of the same name and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Autism Wish. New episodes release monthly. Without further ado, let's meet Matt McCabe. Hi, Embracers, and welcome to another episode of Embracing Autism IRL. Today, we have a very special and unique guest, one you've never, ever seen ever before, I'm sure. Actually, today we have with me none other than Matt McCabe. We thought that this would be a good time to interview a father, seeing as how Father's Day is here and around the corner, or depending when you listen to this, may have already just happened. And so who better to discuss autism with than an autism dad? Hi, Leah. Thanks for the intro. It was beautiful. Yeah. So, Matt, tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What what inspires you? What drives you? Oh, my gosh. It's such a weird, uh, hard question to answer. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Matt <laughs> and my lovely wife, Leah. What inspires me? I guess um, family is kind of my key factor. I mean, I have a job, but like that's like not my main like driving force. I mean, I'm more so trying to like get by as a father trying to raise our two autistic girls in a positive, lovely way as best we can. (laughs) What do you think has been the most challenging part? Because I know that you're not just raising autistic kids, but you're raising an autistic wife. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a weird question. I think, um, no joke, I think the communication is probably the most challenging. Like our communication, like where I'll say one thing and then you kind of have to double check like, is that being serious or is that as a joke? And I'm like, it's, it's a joke. I'm just joking. Like I, but so, yeah. I mean, and that's like usually like the, the funny times where I'm just being like a goofball, but as far as like, uh, just kind of like the communication with our girls, because they tend to take everything very, very literally. And I mean, maybe this is the case of all parents where you might say something as you would to like just common language, just casual conversation among like general people that you would talk to at like work, for example, and they would be able to get the idea that you might be being a little sarcastic. You might be facetious in some instances or whatever, but sometimes that's kind of thrown out the window a little bit. And I have to kind of resort back to kind of being more direct and straightforward. So I think that's kind of the big thing that I've noticed with like the kids, as far as like the communication, where I have to be kind of like more direct with them and not as like playful with like language and like that. But the interesting thing is they've actually come a really far way from like where we started because I I remember starting off thinking, okay, I have to be very like direct and straightforward and literal with what I'm saying. But honestly, like our oldest and a little bit our youngest too, they've started like trolling and they, they can be sarcastic. And so if I exaggerate my inflection with them where I'm like calling them by their name and I'm like in having like a high inflection at the end of it, they'll respond back like, yes, with like, just like the same or inflection that I have in my language. So it's like, they understand that I'm changing my tone of my voice 
and they're able to feed it back to me. I think I have to initiate it. But other than that, I think that they're kind of like catching on to little like ways to kind of like troll us. Like when we're trying to do like educational things, we know that they will know the answer for what letter is this? What word is this? uh, Or like our oldest, oh, what state is this? We know that she knows what it actually is, but sometimes she's being playful and she'll say something that she knows that it's not because she thinks it's funny. So we'll laugh and tickle her. But I think I think that's kind of the big thing that I've noticed. But thankfully, it seems to be kind of getting to a place where I'm able to kind of back off and treat language a little bit more playfully than I have in the past. So I guess that's my answer there. Check. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked to a couple of dads, not a whole lot because I'm more in like the autism mom world. But one of the things that I have noticed with autism dads is that there tends to be a little difference in what they worry about and what they stress about compared to moms. Do you feel like there is a noticeable difference in like your concerns versus my concerns? What are the things that really keep you up at night when it comes to our girls and their autism, essentially? So there's a few key categories, I think, that are common themes in kind of the dad's groups that I've come across. They're mostly autism related, but some are like loosely autism related. And I'll explain that in a second. I would say the big one is generally the big ticket item essentially is kind of like the meltdowns. And I'm not sure for whatever reason, dads typically don't have as much patience. I mean, in just kind of a general context than like the moms would, for example. So, I mean, obviously there are dads that are very patient with their kids, but I would say like, given the chances of who's going to be more patient, kind of flipping a coin more or less, I would generally say that moms generally have a little bit more patience with the kids meltdowns, that sort of thing than like the dad. So generally I see a lot of like dad saying that they're really struggling with the meltdowns and they kind of give like the blurb about what caused the meltdown and just kind of saying like, sometimes it's venting, but sometimes they're asking for advice. Like, Hey, like what, what do I do? Like, I'm kind of going crazy here. So I think that's one major area that the dads tend to focus on. The other one is they kind of worry about essentially like their kid functioning in society where they see kind of projecting what they see here now indefinitely into the future, which I, I, I understand because we all tend to do that to some degree. I don't like that line of thinking essentially, because what is here and now is only here and now things change in the future. Your child can learn many new skills between where they're at now and where they're going in the future. It might be small changes, but I would say that generally there is some change. So, I mean, if you have a five-year-old and you're seeing them, oh my gosh, they're having meltdowns all the time. Like I can't even think how they're going to function when they're 18. 18 is a long ways away. So it's hard to basically kind of project that indefinitely into the future saying like they're always going to be like this. It is possible if there's nothing that you're doing on your end to try and make improvements. But overall, I think if you're able to not give up, not abandon them, keep working through the therapies and just kind of like working on small incremental changes to try and get them to a better place. I mean, I think that that you shouldn't give up at any means. And then the last item, which is kind of loosely related to autism, but still focus in is a lot of them actually worry about their relationships. So I've seen a number of dads commenting, saying that my wife just told me that it's over and that she's leaving. And I never saw this coming. It's kind of blindsided me a little bit. And I see a lot of dads kind of go down that deep, dark hole. I mean, I'm not sure how 
their marriage are in particular. There are unique challenges to autism parents that other parents might not necessarily have to contend with. Trying to keep communication front and center because once your communication starts to drift and you start to have issues there, it's very difficult to try and create something that has gone away. So I would say those are probably like the three key big things that keep popping up (laughs) on the dad's group. So hopefully that sheds a little bit of light there. So not to put you on the hot spot, but I'm totally going to put you on the hot spot. (laughs) (laughs) Because one of the things that you mentioned is marital struggles. Sure. Obviously, I am biased as your wife interviewing you, but I still want to ask you and feel free to like be honest with our audience. Like, how do you feel autism has impacted like our marriage or our relationship? I mean, and that could be like my own autism as well as our children's autism. Do you feel like that has played a significant role in like our marriage's health versus whether or not it's just kind of like a side thing that doesn't really make that much of a difference? It's both beneficial and challenging. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's basically like devastated our marriage by any means or any any stretch of the imagination there. I would say it's created obstacles for us. So by that, I mean basically logistics. It has created obstacles figuring out, okay, if we have five therapies a week and they're in the bulk of the day, both of us have to work to basically try and survive because <laughs> we're not rich. It's kind of a challenge because I am thinking like, okay, so I will run one of the kids to the therapies here. You'll stay here. Then I'll run the other kid back. You watch that kid while I go get the other. So it's a lot of like juggling a little bit, but I, I like to think of the concept of life kind of like a juggler, if that makes sense. Like the person juggling, like the gesture or jester, whatever he's called. So in this scenario, life is represented <laughs> by the jester. Yes, because I like to think of the concept of multiple things in your life are the individual balls that they're juggling with. Some things are more critical than others. I would classify marriage, family, and finances are some of the more big items that you would be juggling with. So I would consider those to be like glass balls. So you don't want to drop those because obviously if they're hitting the ground, they're smashing into a thousand pieces. I like to kind of think of other obstacles as a rubber ball. So if you drop it, it'll bounce. There's less at stake there. So those can be other things that are, they're still important, but you can sacrifice those if need be. So as far as like, oh, I was going to go hang out with Jimmy catching fish or something for a deep fry or something on Saturday. Oh, I'm going to have to miss it. Okay. That ball bounces. You're able to make some sacrifices, but not sacrifice the core functionality of the family and the important things that go with family. Or like, I mean, just like other everyday things that you kind of drop. You try and focus on catching the ones that need to be caught always as often as possible. So family, you always want to keep your family together. Finances, you don't want your family to be devastated with poverty. So I would say that those are the top two that you never want to drop. And the other ones, you can occasionally drop them. If we miss a therapy or something, yes, it is unfortunate, but people get sick. Sometimes we get sick and we can't take the kids there. Sometimes the therapist is sick. So I just think of it as like a rubber ball, like it'll bounce. Next week, we'll have a new opportunity to get them back into the therapy. So I think that we're able to try and incorporate all those together. One of the things that uh, we talked about earlier on in the first season, particularly in our first episode, was about the like emotional impact that being a parent to an autistic child had, especially when we first found out that our kids were autistic. 
Do you feel like you have fully grown from that kind of negative space from when we first found out that diagnosis? Do you feel like it comes back in waves or do you feel like it's something that is just like always there but kind of controlled or just something completely different? Like how have you processed those emotions as a father, as a dad, knowing that men tend to process things very differently from women? I would say similar to like a tsunami. So <laughs> bear with me, bear with me. Okay. So originally the um, original fear of, oh my gosh, what is autism? We were suspecting this diagnosis. So that's kind of like the warning sign going off of, uh oh, something's going on. I think the initial diagnosis might be like a tsunami, like hitting you where you're like, what does this mean for my life? But after like the waves pull out for the tsunami, you might have like a few like larger waves coming occasionally, I think. I don't know. I've never been in a tsunami, but this is how I think they work. So you might have like a few like larger waves coming, but it's obviously much smaller than the initial blast, essentially. So like, I think it kind of comes in waves, but over time, they're less powerful. They're less significant in your life. So like every once in a while, I might get kind of like, oh, it'd be really cool to do this with like the girls or like the kids. And then I'm kind of like reflecting in my mind, like, okay, is that actually possible at this stage at this time with them? And sometimes it's not. And sometimes it is. And I mean, sometimes it might be something small, like going to a restaurant with the kids, knowing that there's going to be a lot of different uh, stimulations. There's going to be a lot of noise. There's going to be a lot of things that um, they're going to see. They might kind of run around like crazy. So I'm trying to think in my mind, like, okay, is this possible at this age with them? And sometimes it's not, and it's, it's okay. We, we can try that at another stage. And sometimes it is, and sometimes we're pleasantly surprised. Like we're able to go out to dinner with them if we have a booth and we're able to like keep them in kind of like a safe area where they can't like run around and go talking to the chef or whatever in the back about making pizza or something. Pizza man. <laughs> right. I think it kind of comes in waves, but I definitely think the waves get smaller as you become more comfortable with what you're working with and as you kind of grow with the kids a little bit. So to follow up on that, one of the things that you mentioned was like taking the kids out and it sometimes being doable, sometimes not being doable. Obviously, there's a lot of limitations and restrictions when it comes to raising autistic kids. There's a lot of things that are possible for neurotypical kids that aren't for autistic kids. And there's a lot of things that families end up having to miss out on because it's just not possible. Was there ever anything that came to mind as the fantasy of something that you wanted to do that later you realized we're not going to be able to do that? And what was that thing and how did that impact you or how did you process that? So I guess one of the things that kind of pops up and flares up every once in a while is the idea of like recreational sports. I remember being four and being in like t-ball and I remember going all the way through like high school and being on competitive teams and all of that and kind of just getting like the culture of like baseball and that being like a main focus pretty much all through like my younger years of school. I always thought when we first found out that we were having two girls, I was like, well, I mean, we could try softball. And I was like, I'm not, I, I guess that's close to baseball or even uh, I figured maybe like soccer or something might be like more enjoyable for them. So I always had like the idea of like, oh, it'd be great to get them involved in sports. But I'm kind of looking and I'm like, well, with the area that we're at, that there's not really any like special needs leagues. 
And it's kind of the concept of, oh, everyone's included, which means like not really. It's kind of like a stamp, like we don't discriminate against anyone. But at the same time, if they're trying to give instructional practice to like my kids of like how to play either softball or soccer, my kids are going to be running around, not listening. And so they're not going to be able to perform any task that is asked of them. And I know they're still young. I mean, our youngest is four and our um, oldest is five. I was just thinking back to like when I was their age, even though they do have very limited focus, I I was able to at least have enough focus to at least do like a a little t-ball practice or like a t-ball game or something. And I don't think they're really there yet. I think it'd be great if like our community was able to come up with some type of special needs league. So, I mean, that is kind of difficult because I did have like the fantasy of like, oh, it'd be great to have the kids playing in like a little game on like the weekend. We can get like a cooler of drinks and things and kind of like go and like cheer, you know, like the typical like parent thing on like every like TV show and movie, like when the kids are like playing like a sport, like the parents are there like cheering them on. So I always had like in my mind, that's kind of like what parenting is. That's kind of been kind of a like challenging thing that's kind of in the back of my head. Is it significant? Do they have to play sports? Like, is that like a must have? No, but it's just kind of like when I was younger and we got married, that was kind of like in the back of my mind of something that like parents do essentially. So now I'm kind of like trying to figure out again, like reframing what is parenting to me, essentially. That's hilarious because you'll you'll probably hate this, but I always dreaded the idea of being a soccer mom. I was like, I am not going to be that person. I was like, there's no way. I was like, hopefully my kids are into academics because I do not want to be out there being like, go Susie. (laughs) Well, I mean, obviously, like, I mean, academics like is priority, but like as far as like just like fun, something they can run around, get energy out. Yeah. And I mean, we have a van, so you're already like halfway I'm, to I the know. soccer mom. And I dreaded I mean. getting the van. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to have the soccer mom look. I honestly oh. think that for me, it's just because like soccer moms kind of have to socialize stuff. And I'm just like not into the social part. <laughs> Is there something that you feel like you have taken away from your experience as a parent to autistic children that you feel like? you have kind of benefited from raising them? Like, do you feel like by raising autistic children that some aspect of you is better off now than it would have been had they been neurotypical? Yeah, absolutely. I would say one major area I think is patience. And I mean, that's always something that I've like struggled with. I mean, I don't generally have the best patience in the world. Sometimes I like want to do things right now and kind of keep things moving in like my crazy ADHD like way. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess that kind of goes in line with like us being married as well and you getting your diagnosis. It's challenged me to adapt and be more patient with the kids because if they were neurotypical, you would kind of say like, oh, like let's grab lunch at Subway or something. I know you hate Subway. That's why I mentioned it. (laughs) Um, Just saying like, hey, let's go grab like a sandwich at Subway or whatever. And it would be like a totally like easy, no problem. Like, okay, hop in the car, buckle up, like let's go. But With some of the challenges we have, I know that I need to have a transition at the beginning of it. We kind of have to like talk up, okay, we're going to go get food at Subway. Subway, what they have on the menu, we have to talk through all these different categories. And then we have to try and find something very specific that they would actually eat there. So it kind of forces me instead of just being like, bam, we're going to go get food. If I'm by myself, that's what I do. 
but it forces me to slow down and think through each process very slow, making sure that we're making every accommodation we can so that we can avoid like any type of meltdown. So I think that has made me potentially a better person. I might be wrong. You can ask my wife. Um, if you her. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'll ask her if I can interview her yeah, next. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's actually funny because I think I gave you a bit of a practice run with that because I'm the type of person that because of my sensory needs, I'm like, oh, I want the fries from this place, but I want the burger from this place. And I kind of gave you a little trial run before you had to deal with it with the kids. <laughs> there we go. But overall, I think that is a like critical component for just being like a better person just all around because like we went to the like autism I don't know what it's called autism party gathering among parents in the area and the one takeaway I got from that is everyone is essentially on the same page everyone has similar struggles everyone understands about meltdowns everyone knows that they don't have to give a explanation to anyone if their kid is misbehaving it's just you understand that word World. And I, I think that all of the people that we were able to meet with there, they're all on the same page. So it's like everyone is much more accommodating. So like our kids wanted to go, go in the prize bucket and get like a little uh, blow up like guitar and like little sunglasses because they both want to be rock stars. So they like went over to like the like prize bucket and started grabbing things. And at first I was a little concerned and I was like, is it okay if they get things? I don't know what like the whole plan is for like the day. And like the parents there, they're like, yeah, sure. They're having fun. Like why like try and like have a meltdown where we have to give everything back so it's like very like accommodating and open and honestly a nice community because sometimes you get stuck with people who are stuck up you might have a neighbor that has neurotypical kids and is stuck up because oh my kids are acting weird or something it's almost like we have a neighbor who may be like that I know. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but it really is because they, they haven't had to have any of these challenges and therefore I don't think they've necessarily had to grow to be a better parent. They just kind of do whatever the heck they want and call it a day as where we're kind of challenged to be more patient. We're challenged to work through meltdowns versus just saying or yelling at our kids, for example. I don't think we've ever raised our voice to our kids when they're having a meltdown. I mean, we're actually on the floor with them, talking them through it. We're getting, I think, a better connection with our kids than I think a lot of neurotypical because they can kind of put on autopilot sometimes. And I feel like as a autism parent, there is no such thing. You're flying the plane the entire time. And if you're not flying the plane the entire time, you soon find out because that's just when uh, something kind of uh, blows off of the plane or an engine dies or explodes or something. So I think it kind of keeps you in the family and not just checked out. If you could give parents listening to this one piece of advice, what is it specifically with dads? If you could give dads in our audience one piece of advice, what is it that you've taken away that you feel like would really help them to know? Think slowly about your actions. Everyone gets frustrated. Everyone has a tendency to get upset with their kids from time to time. No one likes getting a TV destroyed. It's very easy in frustration to say things or say something very quick and mean to someone that doesn't necessarily understand what's going on, whether that be the kids that are misbehaving or having a meltdown, or if it's like your wife who's walking into the situation who didn't know something that was happening that you do. Think slowly is kind of a concept I've tried to incorporate where I'm trying not to get upset with people for their actions if they're not 
intentional. Yeah, I was just thinking to myself, oh, I'm set then because I think real slow. <laughs> <laughs> well, like not not in like a you're not like thinking like at all where you're just kind of like checked out like all, like all day or something. But like as far as like if like the kids are having like a meltdown, it's a lot easier for me to scream at them and yell at them for whatever they're doing versus thinking, okay, I'm just going to breathe. Let me deal with the situation. Five second yelling or insulting, like if if someone's going to insult like their spouse for something, it takes five seconds to insult your spouse. But the amount of work to try and recover any of that damage is going to be a lot longer in the process. If you breathe through whatever heated thoughts are coming through your mind and choose not to say those, you don't have to do the damage later. Maybe I'm a dumb person for like reflecting on kind of the concept of language, but you can't undo language. It's a Band-Aid trying to fix it. So like I can insult someone. I can never take back those words of that insult. I can just put a Band-Aid on it and hope for the best. So if I insult them and then later be like, hey, you know, I didn't really mean that, right? Like I was just frustrated. I can explain out of a situation, but me taking back those hurtful words that I've said, I can never take them back. It's basically me just trying to slap Band-Aids on it and hoping it kind of holds together. So I think having that kind of concept of language it kind of makes you more accountable for what you're saying because at the end of the day, you're stuck. Everything's final with language. What does embracing autism mean to you? You know, it's funny. So I listen to you say that in every IRL and I've never really reflected on it for myself because I never thought <laughs> I never thought I would be interviewed where I would have to give a explanation of it. Surprise. I know <laughs> I should have had an answer prepared. I guess for me, it's the idea that you don't have to explain out of any situation, that people are more than aware of what autism is, but that it's kind of almost like the autism community that I was talking about earlier, where all the parents that are there, they have autistic kids. You don't have to explain out any behavior that your kid is having because it's a more inclusive community. Everyone knows the challenges, the struggles. Now, I understand, like, obviously, not all parents have autistic kids. Like, they're, I mean, obviously, neurotypical kids. But I think embracing autism would be the concept that even if you're a parent of a neurotypical kid, you understand challenges that other families have that you might not have yourself. They are able to count their blessings that they don't have to worry about meltdowns or transitions or trying to juggle a number of therapies. So they can consider that kind of like a blessing that they don't have to contend with challenging things that other families do. But at the same time, give grace to those that do have to contend with some of the other challenging factors that come along with autism. So I think if they are able to kind of extend grace and be like, hey, I can see like you and your child are definitely like um, having a difficult time at the fair or something and not force any judgment or anything on the parents. I think that would be all I ask for. We have a long way to go to get there, folks. So let's do it together. <laughs> One podcast episode at a time. <laughs> exactly. We will get that. I think we will get that. Was there anything else that you would like to share with our audience that I have not asked you? The TV can always be replaced. Yes, it's painful, but let it go. Just let the emotions go on that one. So um, <laughs> no, overall, I mean, I think the big one I would say is for dads, if you're in a marriage or a relationship with the, the mom that you have the autistic kid with, 
give the mom as much grace as you can. I know the moms out there go through more than we can ever expect them to. Sometimes I get upset because I I think of like how busy I am with all the different things I'm juggling. And then I look over and I see my wife, Lisa. No, I'm just kidding. Better get it right. (laughs) No, I, I, so I mean, I think I'll get upset because I'm contending with a bunch of things at work and I'm trying to like juggle, keep everything kind of situated. And because I'm so focused on work, I realize that pulls me away from some of the duties that I do for the family. And I see that like Leah has like definitely stepped up. I mean, anytime she can. I mean, so I mean, as far as uh, everything from setting up like medical appointments, making phone calls to make sure that our kids are covered for insurance, that they're covered for. I don't I still don't even know if it's Medicare or Medicaid. <laughs> Medicare is for old people. <laughs> but, but they're so Medicaid. similar. Yes, that one. But like making sure like our kids are covered, making sure that like the therapies are scheduled. She'll let me know what time the therapies are so I can like help out bringing the kids there. But as far as like if there was no mom or like Leah in my case, making sure that like our family was like held together, I mean, we would definitely kind of fall apart. So I mean, I definitely think for the dads, I know that you do a lot for the family. You, I mean, are there, you're kind of like the rock, but I mean, also recognize that even though you feel like you do a lot, the moms are definitely doing things that might go unnoticed or not seen by either you or the kids and just to be appreciative of the different things that they do that you might not do. And if you are a single dad, you're also the mom. So that information is still valid. (laughs) There you go. And happy Mother's Day in that case. So, (laughs) and I was going to flip it around the other way too. So, I mean, essentially, if you are a single mom, you are both dad and mom. So yeah, you carry both hats there. So, I mean, you're definitely doing double the hours and uh, I can only imagine, I mean, the struggle that you have to contend with. So, I mean, keep up the great work and I mean, keep powering through and focusing and taking care of business mostly. So. And happy Father's Day to you, too. (laughs) (laughs) So um, if you like what we said, uh, leave a comment. Or wait, is this just audio? (laughs) I don't even know. This is video and audio. audio? Okay. Um, I'm not sure where you're going with that. If you like what we've said, leave a comment. If you don't like what we've said, leave a comment and say you don't like what we said. Yes. And if you're listening to this on audio after the replay, leave a comment and let us know where you heard it from. (laughs) Or just yell at us while you're driving in the car or wherever you're listening. That's all the questions that I have. But, you know, the compliments might get you an upgrade to maybe I'll let you get another pair of shoes for Father's Day. Oh my gosh. I think the flip-flops is probably enough. I but you buttered me up a little bit. So maybe maybe I'll let you get like a, a little hat. A hat. Yeah, maybe a hat or a belt to go with the sandals. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. But anyway. Uh, they're awesome for, sandals. So <laughs> thanks for joining me today on the Embracing Autism podcast. Um, it was a pleasure having you on, Mr. McCabe. I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend and I hope to speak with you again soon. Thank you. And my listeners can find me at Autism Wish, which is at Autism Wish and Embracing Autism Podcasts. Which is also everything at Autism Wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't have any separate social media. I'm yes. on there. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for joining us and giving us the dad's point of view. I will right. chat with you in five seconds. All right. Bye. Thanks. Bye. This has been the audio from the Embracing Autism Podcast live stream series. Please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at Autism Wish to catch these shows live. Otherwise, stick around next week for our next episode. This is Embracing Autism.